0: Um, which entitled Questions and Answers, and indeed there were questions and answers as we looked at it. It's wonderful, isn't it, that our God gives us answers to questions of life, real answers, dependable. that We can just build a foundation on, build our lives, and to know that uh, in this world we can have hope, which I want to deal with later. So let's read the passage, shall we? Where should I go? I'll stand in front of the guru from Green Hill. Sorry, Derek, I didn't... uh, That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you like. (laughs) Genesis 19, verse 1. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Is there anything I should do about this? or Nothing? Hmm? Uh, Okay. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servants' house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No. That was an insult to Lot. An intentional insult. No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old... All the people to the last man All the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them I think we all know what that means. There's an act of perverted sex going on here or the intention is to do so. That was how the city was. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, it's strange he should call the people of Sodom his brothers. He could have called them friends, but he called them his brothers. Do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn here. He's become a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, if you anyone else here, sons in law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. That's a, that's a verse there. The outcry has come up to God. This is, we live in this world and there's an outcry coming up both for children who are being abused, for people in awful sexual situations who can't get free of them. And it's a cry going up to God. The earth's crying out for justice. It's crying out for normality. It's, it's crying out for peace. It's crying out for hope. It's just crying out for something to be done. We just need to keep that in the back of our minds. The outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And we actually read about this earlier in an earlier chapter. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, "Ah, Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. That's what they thought of him. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who, were, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape your life. let me escape there is it not a little one and my life will be saved he said to him behold I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken escape there quickly for I can do nothing till you arrive there therefore the name of the city was called Zohar that's mainly the passage that we be dealing with but I just want to read the rest then the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoah. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities of which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zohar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zohar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Two groups of people which caused the Israelites lots and lots of problems throughout the history of God dealing with people on the earth. Father, we thank you that you've given us an account of things horrible, that we may learn something from it today. And we come to you and say, Holy Spirit, would you just manifest your truth to us today and help us in all things spiritual, we pray in Jesus' name. The title of my message this morning, you may not initially see it first, is size. Size, not S-I-Z-E, but S-I-G-H-S. Size, struggles, and strongholds. Now Abram himself, in his life before God, in with this situation, uh, we could apply those three words to his approach to this situation. You could say, now, "What's Lot up to now? What's he doing?" If you've had children, you've probably had times like that and you say, why on earth did he do that? Or you say, we, in the church, as elders, we say, why on earth did they do that? It wasn't there a better way, it wasn't a better thing to do. It's almost like a sigh from the heart of the people, a concern, if you like, that uh, you know, there was a better way, there were better things to do. Struggles. Well, Lot himself struggled with living in the land that he did. If we read in in, in 2 Peter 2 2 verse seven, it tells us a little bit about how he struggled with living in that city we read about this morning. It tells us that he was vexed in his spirit day after day and he hated living where he was. And yet the strange thing is what he chose in the first place and it just tells us really the choices we have in life... Pardon? It isn't? Okay. I see lots of people wincing, it's all right. So, Jesus, would you just take care of this sound problem? We know that Satan wants to disturb the preaching of your word, and we come against it in Jesus' name. Would the people listen to truth not to be interfered with, in Jesus' name. Choices we make in this life are so very important. Many people today are living with the trouble that they've caused themselves, and they say, why God? (laughs) It's just a simple thing. God has given us the direction to how to live in this life, you know, and um, we're all the same. We all go our own way. And Lot was exactly the same. He did, in the end, what he wanted to do. And the story sort of throws the life of Lot against Abraham almost in comparison. And, 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 and um, it's saying, look at this one and look at this one, you know, if you like, and look at the differences between the two. Um, and uh, Abraham struggled, I think, with dealing with Lot. They struggled when they quarrelled. There were struggles in the situation. And there were strongholds because, in the end, the angels had to go in and deliver them out of that situation. In life as Christians, you know, we will have sighs in our lives. We will even say to ourselves, Why on earth did I do that? We will also have struggles, things that we find hard to deal with. In life, we may want to do it so dearly, and yet we struggle over it time and time again to get it right. And we almost beat ourselves up about it. You struggled, I struggled, we all struggle with different things. But then there are also strongholds. The Bible talks about strongholds where it needs the power of God to come into our lives and to deliver us when we can't seem to do anything about it ourselves. Size, struggles and strongholds. And that's how Abraham dealt with the situation, if you like. He knew that there was a stronghold here. And so he prayed. He interceded to God on Lot's behalf. He battled. Abraham was a man of battle. There's no doubt about that. With his 318 men, he went down and he rescued Lot out of a situation So that was almost a stronghold situation. He had to go in and rescue him out of it, which he did. But you notice Abraham's a man of battle. And how he was in his life physically, he was also in his prayer life. He battled. Didn't Steve told us about that last week? He was in battle, in spiritual battle. And that's what he did. So that's sort of a simple explanation of where we're going with this this morning. I think most of us know the story up to now, for me to re- go back on that and um, on, on where we were. But we know the story in a sense that this is a horrible city and God had to visit it and deal with it. And it's almost, we could almost see it as if that God uses natural disasters to deal with with problems in the earth. And it's not because he just wants to judge it for its sin. It's like we read in there, the outcry, in other words, the pangs of people's hearts were so desperate and they were so longing for something to happen, they might be released from this, and that maybe the angels in heaven were just, they couldn't cope with it to see this awfulness of sin in this perfect world that God had created. And so God had to do something about it. The outcry. Remember that word, the outcry had come up to God. That he had to do something about it. Our world is heading that way. If you don't believe that, then you're not believing the Bible. On the other hand, in a sense in regard to the church... God has also said that his church will grow stronger and get bigger. So it's not all, all an awful story. These two things are going on in our world. And in the end, we, but the true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are going to be used in this process of sorting it all out. I think John Hosey reminded us of that earlier on. So God has a plan. But in our lives... You know, there are size struggles, and strongholds. I just want to look at um, three areas that we find in this chapter, but I only want to really deal with one at the end. The first one is looking down. Then the Lord looked down and said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great that sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is so bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not... I will know. The Lord looked down and he came down. Whatever suffering we may be going through, whatever suffering we may face, whatever situation we as believers or the world may face, God has it in his heart and his mind to not let it go on and on and on and on. He's looking at everything, he's looking down and he's seeing. And God cares. About his world. God cares about you and me. Little old me. Yes. Little old you. He cares so much about you. And he's looking down. And the Bible reminds us time and time again. That our God is a God who looks down. Looking out. Chapter 13 verse 10. Lot Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt towards Zohar. He wanted both. He wanted a foot in both camps. He wanted to have the best of both worlds. The one would remind us that it was a, the garden of the Lord was a place you could find fellowship with God. But Egypt, towards Zohar, Egypt, he had been there And he'd seen the excitement, he'd seen the advancement, he'd seen a different life, if you like, and he wanted to have both. As a church, we look at discipleship continually, and when we become believers, we're actually leaving an old life behind, dying to an old life. You remember the baptism John spoke about, the funeral service, and when we're baptised, it signifies, I want none of the old life, but... Sometimes we do. Sometimes we want more than Jesus. Or we think we can get more than Jesus, but we just want to say enough. He is enough for us all. He is enough. Lot looked out and he saw. So there's a duplicity about him in his desire. He wanted one and he wanted the other. And it's a thing we will always struggle with in our lives as Christians. Satan will always offer us something better. Well, what he thinks is better for us. You know, you you probably look, maybe you have had this experience, maybe some have had this experience, you know, you want to get married, but you want to have the, the bit that you like before you get married, you know, I think there's a better way. Things like that, you know. You can do it a better way, Satan will say to us, or you can have more excitement if you do this. Oh, if you become a Christian, it's dull, it's dreary, you know. It's only religion anyway, you know. sort of nothing in it, you know. It's, uh, you can't have anything. So Lot looked out, but he looked out with duplicity. And when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to remember that really we ought to be single-hearted and not have a duplicity about our believing lives. Jesus said to Matthew, Matthew, leave all you got and follow me. And that's what he did. He left all, we read, in the New Testament, and he followed Jesus. We've got new believers you know, amongst us, and, and God would have us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it's not wrong to do other things. No one would ever say that. But our heart can be so set on things outside of Jesus Christ that they can actually draw us away. Which is what happened to Lot. He got drawn away and he got drawn into. Keep single-minded, keep single-hearted as we live our Christian lives. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So Lot looked out. And he saw the whole plain of Jordan, well watered like the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt towards Zohar. Next one, looking in. The two men personally arrived as we began in our chapter today and they stayed, but they weren't there to stay. They were only looking in. They were completing the the role or the purpose of God coming down and they went in and they looked in. And they were looking, if we take Abraham's, they were looking and making sure that they had the righteous ones in mind, in view. And we read that today, didn't we? As they stayed, as they lived, they said to, uh, they said to Lot, who have you got here? You know, your wife, your son, sons-in-laws, your, your daughters. And they were looking in. They were looking in to see what they could do. They looked in. The two men angels personally arrived. They stayed but weren't there to stay. Their looking in was to demonstrate a personal act of God to deliver from the impending destruction of the city. Just to point away from that and to point to Jesus, when Jesus was at the point of death, he cried, Why have you, God, my Father, Almighty, forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? There wasn't a personal act of God on high to deliver his son. God didn't look in at that. He looked at the sacrifice that Jesus made. Here the angels were looking in to see who they could bring out of that situation. But Jesus went in to die for us, not to be taken out. And Jesus said, and he cried, My God, why have you forsaken me? And he went in so that others might come out. He went in, and as it were, stayed in, that we might come out. Looking in. Looking back. We read, and it's the only point we read about Lot's wife, doesn't even give her a name, although some Bible commentators uh, suggest a few names. But in this story, she's not given a name. But we're given one point about her that having told not to look back, she looked back. Jesus, when he was talking to the people, and we might take it on as Christians today any man having put his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit. For the kingdom of God. And so it's just a reminder of what I said earlier, really, that um, as believers, newborn believers, old believers, whatever, keep single-minded about following Jesus Christ and doing what he wants and to do what he asks. The writer records this specific reaction of Lot's wife because she was unable to break from her life and standing in Sodom. And what commentaries you read, they'll all give different suggestions why she looked back. But I think, I think we can just say simply, her heart was there. Her heart was there. It had, Sodom had a strong influence within her spirit in that it satisfied her temporal life. It is the only thing recorded about her in the story. Not even her name is mentioned. But Jesus recalls this when he's speaking to the people. And in answer to the question that was put to him, when is the kingdom of God going to arrive? And he went on to talk about these things. And, uh, and Jesus said, um, it's not about where it is here or there. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is actually within you. It's not an external thing. It's something you experience. The kingdom of God, the reign of God in our lives is something we experience. That would say to us that as true Christians we can experience what the wonderful rule of God is in our lives. It's not prohibitions and, and life of um, drudgery or difficulty in a sense uh, to follow him. It, it's a life where experience is goodness. And the power that comes to us when we know what he can give to us. Joy, peace, love, long-suffering, patience, kindness, gentleness, whatever it is. That's the wonder of our God, isn't it? The wonder of knowing him. It also tells us that Jesus is and will be personally involved in future events in the earth. People are so satisfied with their lives here that they don't want to consider a moving on. Are you satisfied with your life here as a a Christian? You don't want to move on? You can't stay like that, you know. You cannot stay where you are as a Christian. You have to move on. You have to move on. So we come to the last one, looking forward. If you go to Hebrews, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And you'll need your Bibles now for the last few minutes. This will turn us to Abraham. We've, we've looked at Abraham uh, briefly. Hebrews 11, read verses 8 to 10. Looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. When Lot looked out and he saw, the implication of the text is that uh, he wanted to go there, so what he could get out of it. If we think about Abraham, it's a totally different situation altogether. Because his life was given over to God, and in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So others would be blessed through what Abraham did, whereas Lot, it was for himself. It was a materialistic look at where he was going on for the future. With Abraham, he was looking forward. That's the last point I want to. I just want to look at this last point just briefly. Old Testament prophecy is full of expectations in the future and should give us growing encouragement and confidence in God's overriding and expecting plans. The New Testament is full of eternity and heaven. When John Hosea came to us, he reminded us of that. And that is with the potential to radically save us and change us. So the whole of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is full of of moving forward, moving on, moving upwards, and it's in the future. I suppose the challenge of this passage this morning that I want to bring to you is that we need to be a people who are looking forward. Even though we might encounter size, struggles, and strongholds, we need to move on, and with all those, we can move on. And there's nothing to stop us moving on, because my first point in this is empowerment, In Hebrews chapter 12, we read a whole list of people who lived their life by faith and followed God. They did it for the future cause, but they didn't receive it themselves. Now that's amazing, really. They didn't get really any future benefit out of it, although they will do. But it says they were doing this for us, for those who would believe later on. The single most important experience in the Christian life is empowerment. You might say, well, the future, that's only, I go to heaven when I've lived my life. No, it isn't. Yes, that will happen, but it's heaven coming to you now. That's the writer to the Ephesians. You're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You're missing out if you're not. So when it says, when, when the writer of the Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those people of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangles. He says, throw it off. And that's what you can do in Christ. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And this is the verses. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons part of God's family it's not about heaven in the future it's about empowerment now those verses we read looking unto Jesus it's not looking only to the future to what we will see through him it's actually finding empowerment to live a life that's pleasing to God now so that first point is empowerment God wants to empower you through the power of his Holy Spirit Not to live as Lot did, but to live as God wants. To find your life in God, if you like. To find what God has for us. Empowerment. That's looking forward. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. His divine power, so here this morning, God's divine power is at work to give you everything that you need for life and for godliness. It's not pie in the sky or ethereal, the divine power of God is at work here in his place this morning to give you something, empowerment. To give you the ability to please God and to live your life before him. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. That's Jesus. So it's not surprising you say, get to know him. Get to know Jesus. It's the source of power. He's the source of life. Get to know him. You can only get to know him really through following what you read in your Bibles and following the life of Jesus and what he said to us through him through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them promises you may participate in the divine nature Mm, that's a nice life isn't it participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires a way of escape empowerment that's what, what God wants to really bring us into. He wants to empower us. Second point, confidence. Abraham did not know where he was going, but he did know who he was going with. He did not know where he was going. Would you like to live a life like that? The Bible, the Bible throws up you know, some things. Living a tent life in, in, in these times was a, an indication that you wanted to be ready to move when God moved. In other words, he was in, over your life and you was listening to him, you was following him. Words called pilgrimage. Those who wanted to live in cities just wanted to be settled and not be moved or stirred or do anything. They just wanted to be settled. They wanted to enjoy the surroundings and all of it. Nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, it's sort of slightly different culture now. But the whole point about it is the Bible throws the, the difference between these two. Those who wanted to live a life of pilgrimage and those who didn't. Which camp are you in? Which camp am I in? Do I want to go on with him? Or do I want to stay with him? Or do I want to be content on looking back, always hankering after those exciting experiences we had earlier in our lives? Those danger moments. Those partying moments when we used to tell filthy jokes. Are you looking back to that? Or do you want to look away from that into the future? Something different. Confidence. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he did know who was going with him. That is our confidence. And the Bible tells us we can have this confidence. Through Jesus and only through him, God gives us the assurance of his presence he does not mislead us. He is trustworthy. Confidence. We can rely on him and the guidance he gives us through his word. The last word, last point, is a Christian word. I call it a Christian word. It's the word hope. It is the word hope. Looking to the future, there is hope. It's not This sort of if doubt and that's really what I want to happen. It's more about what is going to happen for the good of my soul and my whole life. A hope which is sure. First thing I want to say about hope is one of the treasured experiences that a Christian can have. And we have it through knowing Jesus. In seeing God's purpose fulfilled, we are not just hoping to go to heaven but expecting heaven to come to us that's hope within hope there's assurance that's assurance in here what is his hope it's the spiritual energy to combat everything that tries to degenerate me whereas what god gives us is to restore us to accepting the potential power at work in us also, that in every experience of life, whether it be size, struggles, or strongholds, there's always an exit strategy. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. There is a way out. You say, "I'm going to death." No, it's not the end. John spoke about that. John Hosea spoke about that. It's the wonder, you know, of knowing where I'm going. That death won't be like a doorway, a stop. You know, there's an exit strategy. That's hope that that will happen. If we're in Christ, we are secure as we stand before God. But God may ask us, what's the reason you have my son, that I may let you into heaven? Well, I've done this and done that and that, no, but anything else? When I was 20, I accepted Jesus. Ah, sorry. When I was five, when I was seven or whatever. The experience of life. Jesus will not fail and Isaiah 42 tells us that. He won't fail anyway. But it tells us specifically, he will not fail until he has brought forth justice in the earth. He will not fail. That's hope. And lastly, in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Lots of you know this verse. It's such an amazing verse. I just want to speak it over you this morning. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How amazing is our God? Daisy Chain, yeah, he takes us up and in the Creator's hands with such a beautiful thing to him as he works with us i just want to close by reading a few verses from ephesians 1 you've got them you might turn it brings these things together the hope the empowerment the confidence the hope that we have through knowing jesus it's not it's more than just giving my life to jesus It's knowing empowerment in my life, it's knowing confidence, it's knowing hope. Remember, like Jesus said, Lot's wife who looked back. Remember Abraham who looked forward because that's what we have this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him... The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now just pop down to verse 10. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Empowerment, confidence, hope. Don't look back, look forward. Father, we thank you for giving us such a hope. We thank you for giving us so much. We just thank you, Lord. We just praise and worship your name today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.